If you would, turn in the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, we are moving right along in this good study. Last week we covered all of chapter 3 as we read through that. If you weren't here last week, I want to draw your attention that in chapter 3 you have 20 mentions of next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him. And the strength of unity and teamwork and being locked arm to work together. But as you would imagine, as life so often shows, for as good as that sounded, the negativity comes and the opposition arises. That's what today's passage is going to be about. We thought about going through all of chapter 4 here this morning, but we're not. We're going to cover the first 14 verses. And so we got chapter 4 today and then more of chapter 4 next week. The reality is, is that life is difficult and there will always be opposition. But specifically here today, it's not just about opposition to your life and your dreams and your goals, although I know that that's real, but it is specifically about opposition to what God is doing in the world. And we must be careful as we talk about this. We must be careful to not get on our soapbox and make it about us. We must make it or see it or present it clearly as it is in the Bible that there is opposition to what God is doing in the world. Quite frankly, there are people that do not believe in God. There are people that oppose him. There are people that want to go against everything that God is doing. And that means that they will go against the people that God is working in. That's a hard reality to accept, and that's what Nehemiah 4 is about today. Read with me, if you will, Nehemiah 4, the first heard that we verses. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. 
At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and Lord, who to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What was the past couple weeks a rather soul-stirring, motivational story about one's faith and determination to go and make a difference, about one's strong prayer life and devotion, for God, devotion to God that God would work in and through him has now turned to a little bit more real as you and I would expect. Nehemiah's life has not been easy up until this point. But it was encouraging to the believer how we saw him praying and seeking the Lord and watching God's blessing lead him in prosperity. He said, God, give us success, and he was finding success. Today we see that there is opposition to what he is doing. And that does not mean he is not finding success. That means he's being opposed and should continue trusting the Lord. In the bulletin, we titled this sermon, Staying Focused When People Oppose You. I really want to make sure that this is not just about you, how to think about all of your enemies. I want us to think about obedience to God, what God is doing in the world, and opposition to that, and where that fits into our lives. This chapter, Nehemiah 4, shows us that oftentimes people will oppose the people who are living for God. You and I need wisdom and discernment and humility to make sure that they're not just opposing us because we're bad guys or we are rude or something like that. We gotta make sure that we're not seeing that it's because we're so arrogant and we think we're better than everybody else and holier than thou and that we are judgmental towards people that people are opposing us. I would imagine that it's a good thing for people in your life to be opposed to you if that's the way you treat people. I would say that a lot of what goes on towards church these days is not healthy, but can we not admit this morning that a lot of the hatred towards church people is deserved? Would you agree? I hope so. There are a lot of mean, rude, ungodly church people. That's not what we're talking about today. Don't you be rude to people and then use a passage like this to say, Oh, it happens when people oppose us. That's not what this is. This is the work of God. We've been through three chapters of Nehemiah. This is people opposing God. There's a big difference between opposing God's work and opposing you. Let's not get it twisted here this morning. The Bible does teach us, though, that God is working in the world. And God works through people. God is working in many places, and we rejoice in that. And the Bible teaches that the devil is also working in the world. You need to be reminded of this. Now, it takes some faith to, to see that and believe that. It maybe takes some faith to even process that and accept that. But that's what I believe, that God's working in the world. He's doing things, and the devil's working in the world. He's doing things. And so often those collide. Let me just share with you a few passages. Peter writes that the devil 
is roaming around like a lion seeking to devour some people. And when we see people's lives being devoured, it's okay for us to say, man, the devil likes that. The devil wants that to happen. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and that you would have life abundantly. But the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil wants to steal from you. The devil wants to kill you. The devil wants to destroy you. And when you see those things happening to our lives and to our families and to our world and to our society and to our friends and to our people, right? It's okay for us to say, man, the devil here. In so many ways in that situation, the devil's winning there. That's what he wanted. This is opposition to the very things that God wants. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, would explain it like this. We once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. They call him the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All things that move in the direction against God, against his ways, disobeying God and his will, those things are the work of the devil. He then says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, carrying out the desires of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's an accurate description of what is going on in the world. It's an accurate description of opposition to what God is doing. So when we see this incredible passage of Nehemiah getting this burden and wondering about Jerusalem and the walls are broken down and the glory of God and the name of God and the witness of God has been disgraced and Nehemiah is now convicted and burdened saying, I'm going to make a difference here and he prays to God and God opens the door and he finds himself moving toward, I want to do this, God give me success here. We love that and it is motivational and this is a great book on living for God and making a difference but there's opposition here and we should know, of course there is. Of course there's opposition. One commentator writes, the powers of darkness will not sit idly while the people of God rise up to build. Whether it is them building a wall as in Nehemiah's day or whether it is building Christ's kingdom, we are called as we are called to today. The devil wants to stop anything that will glorify God. Believers need to know this. Our Josh Womble did from Romans chapter 5 where the Bible says rejoice in our sufferings. Now some suffering is not from opposition and we know that. But some suffering is from opposition. And the Bible teaches us as we read there that God absolutely knows what he's doing through it. God is working through it. God is doing something through our sufferings. And we can trust him. This morning in these 14 verses, I want to share two points with you. Very simple. And we'll walk through this passage. Number one, the ugliness of life. Try as we might to only be positive and spin everything into how it's a good thing. We are not being accurate if we do not accept that there are some ugly aspects to life. Life is hard. Sometimes people will oppose you. Opposition is a part of life. 
In this passage here, we have at least two mentions of the people being angry. It has nothing to do with them. It's really none of their business. These people are bothered about their city, and so they're determined to rebuild their city. That's what it is, but people are mad about that. That's the context. You heard it. They're mad at them. They're angry at them. They're greatly enraged at them. They jeer at them. They make fun of them, and they mock them. It doesn't have anything to do with them. They live in a different place. They're governors of different places, and yet they're concerned with what they're going on over here. It's the reality of life. There's things that aren't anybody else's business. There's people that don't even care about certain things, and they will get involved just for the sake of being ugly. Sometimes people are angry about good things, and sometimes people are angry about God things. Sometimes people are angry about other people's lives going well. Jealousy is real. The comparison game is real. Life is not fair, and sometimes it eats us alive. Some people are angry about other people's fortune and success. We must admit it that people are mean. I hate to admit one of the things that comes apart mean. People can be so mean. People talk so much. One of the things that comes out in this passage is that every time it was they heard this. They heard about what was going over there and it made them mad. They heard about what was happening over there and it made them mad. It doesn't tell us often in this passage that they went to see for themselves and they saw how the next to him, next to him, next to him, they saw the hard work and they saw the focus and they saw the goodness of the people and they saw that they weren't causing any trouble. It doesn't say that. It says they heard about what was happening over there and it frustrated them and made them mad. People will talk. People will spin what they talk to make it work in their favor. People will spin how they talk and make it work against your favor. There's less concern about just presenting the truth as the truth. People will talk. People will not know what they're talking about. A lot of it is not true, and yet it is still very discouraging. And while we can say that life is ugly, another thing that we must be able to say and admit, and I sure hope we will, church, Sometimes what is so ugly about life is ourselves. Oh, how we wish that we could stand here today and only talk about how messed up everybody else is. But the word of God will not allow us to. The real church needs to stand up and say, it's not everybody else that's the problem in this world. It's us. It's us. We got our own issues. We do bad things. We sin. And the consequences of our sin and our wrongdoings a lot of the time puts us in much worse consequences, much worse circumstances. We put ourselves in worse positions because of some mistakes that we have made. We have to accept this. Christian people ought to be the first to be able to accept we made this mess. And so now we must deal with it. We have to acknowledge this. We need to be the people who are willing and able to confess our sins and repent of our sins. We have to be the people to say, we did wrong here, we did wrong there. And this is a problem. We need to turn, opens, we need to believe that God gives second chances and God is a way maker and God forgives and opens doors and restores and heals and fixes and rebuilds and reconnects. This is what the gospel is about. Jesus died on the cross to forgive sinners. Jesus didn't come for the well, he came for the sick. He came to seek and save the lost. And that's us. And so we can confess that. The ugliness of life is real and you know it. I thought all week about how many real life examples I can give, but I came back to saying, we don't need any, do we? 
You don't need me to give you a heartfelt illustration today about somebody being mean, about somebody that's going through it. We know it. Here in our passage today from Nehemiah 4, the issue is not just that life is ugly. It is the ugliness of life specifically to people opposing God and his work. I hope here today that by faith in Christ, you will hate the idea that there are people out there opposing God. I hope you will hate that. By now, after three chapters in Nehemiah, we see that what God is doing through Nehemiah is a good thing. God is doing this. God has raised up a man who wants to go and do something for God. This work is for God's glory. This work is for God's name. And now the opposition comes. This passage, if you're really studying Nehemiah, does not allow us to say, well, Nehemiah was just rude, or Nehemiah was arrogant, or this was Nehemiah's fault. There's nothing like that. This is clear that they're opposing God. So what we have here in these 14 verses are three different types of opposition. I know y'all thought it was going to be good to just have two points and this might be short, but point number one has three more points. Number one, the first type of opposition that we see here are verbal threats. Me in verse one, mean talking toward the work of God. Look with me in verse one. When he heard that we were building the wall. So they are, they're clearly building the wall. He was angry, he, great, he was greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And so then, in the presence of them, look at this, this is just ugly. In the presence of them that are working, have you ever worked hard this week? Did any of you all have to do any work outside this week in this heat and feel just how dead tired that was? Did you mow grass or did you walk to the mailbox or did you have to walk to the car in this heat this week and just realize how hard it was to do something? And imagine if there's somebody just standing by mocking you for that. This is what happens here. And he spits off all of these kind of rhetorical questions that were meant to hurt. It's just talk, I know, but it's meant to hurt. What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore the wall themselves? Are they going to sacrifice? Will they finish this up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And then another guy, after he hears that, and that's so much how slander works. One guy's bold enough and courageous enough to start it, and then other people will jump in. Here comes Tobiah. Yeah, nice wall you're building. If a fox goes up on that, it's going to fall over. You know a fox weighs about two pounds. It's just mocking. It's just ugliness. It is just talk, but it's verbal threats. That's what it is. Verbal threats. Just talk. Now, I tell my kids all the time, and I hope you believe it, that sticks and stones will break our bones and words will never hurt us. We need to believe that. But at the same time, we know that words hurt us. We need to have a toughness about us. We know that there's this discouragement. We know that we can just hear something, and it just deflates us. That's what's happening here. This is no small project. This is the call of God, the work of God. This is requiring faith and effort, strength. This guy had been people, I mean, fasting and crying for four months, and now there are people standing beside his group of people. I mean, how many names were in chapter three? Next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him. All of them are being mocked by this. It's bad. It's really bad. The first type of opposition are these verbal threats, the insults. 
The second type of opposition starts here in verse seven. Look what happens. But when, so, so they, weren't, they weren't deterred, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to verse six, but in order for us to go in the second one, look at verse six. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So they're, they're, it's, it's going. Despite all that negativity, it's going. They're working, okay? Verse seven. But when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. So the success is happening, and they're even more mad. Verse 8, they all plotted together to come and fight. Come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. The first type of opposition was verbal threats and insults. The second type of opposition was physical threats. Hey, the work's still happening. They're, they're, not, they're not stopping. So making fun of them is not going to work. We need to get aggressive. We see this here. The third type of opposition that we see is not verbal threats and insults, not physical threats. That didn't stop them either. If you look at verse 9, we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Y'all, verse 9 is one of these Many, many verses in the Bible that just shows us the beauty of uh, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. That's a big conversation in churches when you believe in a big God and a sovereign God and a God that knows what he's doing. Seeing our responsibility under the umbrella of God's sovereignty is a beautiful thing. They prayed to God for protection. You know what they also did? They set up a guard. Now, you need to be trusting in God for your finances. You do. You also need to be saving money them they're not going to be all day with how both of these things apply they know that unless God protects them they're not going to be protected you know what they also did they set up a guard they set up protection it's both come on Christians don't keep your head in the sand walk by faith know the truth let Jesus lead you let's live how God wants us to live the second type of opposition is physical threat but then there's a third one here and this one in so many ways this one hurts the most that one's coming from the outside I'm okay with it coming from the outside that's the way it is we're ready God's got us but look at this third type of opposition starting in verse 10 in Judah it was said that's their people the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing there's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. This third type of opposition is negative discouragement coming from the inside. This is now their people telling them, can't do it. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to get it done. It's just too much. It's too hard. It's, it's failing. You're not going to last. It's not going to work. Verse 11, then the enemies speak up and they, they, they quote them and say, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So what happens then in verse 12, it's still coming from the inside. Look at this. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. Their own people are now coming to them 10 times over and saying, y'all stop. Good try, but it's just not going to happen. Come back, give up. Folks, Christians discouraging Christians is hurting big time churches insulting other churches Christians attacking other Christians it's ugly that's the real ugliness isn't it if some God hater out there some atheist unbeliever wants to insult me or whatever so be it 
It won't be pretty or easy, but so be it. If we start, have we turned out each other? Lord, have mercy on us. How far have we turned our eyes away from Christ and mercy and forgiveness and set our eyes on worldliness like we should not? May Jesus reign in our hearts and may we admit that there's opposition in this life. But church, may the opposition to what God is doing not come from you. May the opposition to what God is doing in the world, whether it be missions or whether it be church or whether it be whatever God is doing, may it not come from you. May you be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. May you do what the Bible says and bite your tongue and not spread that message. May you learn how to speak and build up. May we recognize that God is working in the world and we want him to use us. The ugliness of life is that so often what Jesus is doing in the world is opposed by people. Sometimes it's verbal, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's on the inside and we hate that. If we were looking at this the way many might look at it today, you and I would probably not be surprised if Nehemiah said, forget that, man. I ain't going to be a part of none of y'all, y'all the way y'all act. I'm done with it, man. If y'all going to talk about me, I'm done. Y'all find somebody else to lead this. Build the wall yourselves. Not me, because I see a lot of reaction that way, don't y'all? We see a lot of people that give up and bail out like God didn't give them a purpose and God didn't call them to it. The Bible shows us here that opposition comes from a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's scary. There's so much opposition here. Listen to this. I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, with their spears, and with their bows. That's some serious opposition, isn't it? Nehemiah didn't quit. Nehemiah kept doing what he did. He navigated the ugliness of life. Look what he says in verse 4. I intentionally skipped this, and this is going to be a hard part, but we, we need to hear it, okay? In verse 4, say that he prayed a prayer, y'all. Verses 4 and 5 is a prayer. Does everybody see that? It doesn't really say that he prayed, but it's a prayer. Against all of that negativity, that verbal attack, he says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Now, this is a common theme throughout the Bible. The Bible teaches us that often Jesus was despised and his people will be despised. Jesus says, they hate me, they'll hate you. You you have a lot of this in the Bible. We need to know that. Christians, we need to stop being the people that are so worked up about how unfair life is. The Bible never told us that it won't be that way. The Bible shows us that it's going to be opposed. Brace yourself. Trust the Lord. This is the very words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, early in the gospel. This is one of the very first things Jesus ever said. Listen to this. Blessed are you, not when everybody likes you, and not when you get a pay raise, and not when everything's good, and not when your children are pretty. He doesn't say that. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, On my account, rejoice and be glad. That's the teaching of Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Opposition to your Jesus faithful life is par for the course. That's the way it goes. I'm not shocked by it. 
The New Testament shows us over and over again, this is how it goes. In Acts chapter 17, you got the Apostle Paul preaching, and here's what it says in Acts 17, 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, how'd they hear of that? Because that's what Christians preach. We talk about a Savior that died on the cross for sins, and God raised him up. We spread that message. We exist to tell people about Jesus. When they heard about that, look what it says in Acts 17, 32. There is a good... If you dare tell somebody that you believe in a cross and a resurrection, there is a good chance they're going to laugh at you, disagree with you, not hire you, not hang out with you, not pick you for the team, not do this, not do that. Those things happen. It's normal for Christianity. Find it in the Old Testament, you find it in the New Testament. It's so normal. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ, who never once said a foul word, never once wronged anybody, never once sinned. Just listen to this. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and they were spitting on him, and they were kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and they put, it on, and they put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to be crucified. Verse 31, so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. It's normal. It's not good. It's not right. It's common. The ugliness of life will rear its ugly head against God and what is happening. So in Nehemiah 4, starting in verse 4, Nehemiah prays. And this is a rough prayer, okay? This is not the type of thing that you deal with on a Sunday morning, but I figured we, we, we need to. Look what he prays. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let them be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. These are hard to read, right? You see this in the Psalms a lot. These are the imprecatory Psalms. These are the Psalms where the prayers are ugly like this. Praying vengeance upon someone. We got to deal with it. It's hard to deal with. I was listening to Tim Keller go through Nehemiah, and he was talking about Derek Kidner, who has a good commentary on Nehemiah, and he points out these three things. These will help you. These will help you a lot. Listen to this. He says, number one, these are cries against injustice, and that's a good thing. Crying out against injustice is a good thing. God is a God of justice. God wants things to be right. If the world is doing things that are wrong, that's the world doing things that are wrong. But God is about what's right. And God says one day soon he's coming to make all things right. Every wrong will be made right. And so when we cry out, however we cry out for justice and we cry out against injustice, that's a good thing. Now, again, this prayer is strong. God, kill them. God, don't forgive them. We realize that that's a strong prayer that Nehemiah is praying, but it's coming from a heart of recognizing this is wrong. This is injustice. 
It's like when you see somebody do something really, really bad and you think, I hope they get them. Right? You may be a little bit out of line by saying, I hope they get them, but you're really, really right in recognizing what they did was wrong. That's the first thing. Number two, these prayers are not taking vengeance themselves. What a helpful perspective. These are prayers to God for God to take out the vengeance. That's a good perspective, isn't it? They're not saying, God, help me to come over here and I'll knock their head off. They're praying to God for God to take the vengeance. The Bible often teaches that God tells us, vengeance is not your responsibility. Do not take vengeance on people. Vengeance is of the Lord. One day God will make everything right. And then number three, listen to this again from Derek Kittner who passed away in 2000. A really good commentary on the book of Nehemiah. Number three, this side of the cross, we don't pray like that. We see those prayers in the Old Testament before they fully understood the cross of Christ where God took out his vengeance on our sins in his son Jesus. We don't pray like that. Because we know that Jesus has already despised, has already been despised for us. Here, Nehemiah cries out, we are despised. You and I know that Christ was despised for us. When Jesus died on the cross, it was not because anybody else had treated you unfairly. When Jesus died on the cross, it was not because everybody else is so bad and God's trying to make things right for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sinfulness. He died because you have been wrong, because you have been unjust, because you have sinned against God. You have offended God with your life. And when Christ died on the cross, he took the hate for sin for you. So we don't pray like that. Because we know that he's already been despised for us. Jesus has already been treated wrongly. Jesus took our, uh, we look to God for vindication because Jesus took our judgment. I didn't want to skip over those verses without speaking to that. I don't want us to be misled on that. The ugliness of life is real. And people are posing God. Now, if we read the Bible, we know that even though people oppose God, they cannot stop God. God is unstoppable. He already has the victory. Jesus said it is finished. He is unstoppable. We have many Bible verses that are teaching us what Jesus says. Jesus says that the, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You remember that from Matthew 16. What God is doing in the world is unstoppable. Although there may be all types of effort to stop it, God will not be stopped. So you and I must understand dealing with opposition, staying focused with opposition, even in the ugliness of life. And our second, but that's not all we see from Nehemiah 4. And our second point this morning that we will end with here today is the beautiful Strength of believing. It's hard for us to imagine being in Nehemiah's position, isn't it? We have opposition in our lives, but maybe nothing so physically and actual as that. I mean, maybe you have some bad coworkers at work and you're like sick to your stomach to even walk into work each day because you know they hate you and they're gonna roll their eyes at you and all of that. Yes, we have opposition in our lives, 
But it's really hard to picture being in this laborious effort of building a wall and all the different people that you have and how hard that would have been and how physically demanding that would have been. And to stand there brokenhearted because God and his name are being opposed and then to have these people threatening you, to have swords and spears and guards and everything set up and then to just keep working, pass me another brick, keep working, pass me another brick. And to have that happening, it's really hard to picture this. And yet in the middle of that strong opposition we have a beautiful strength of faith coming out of Nehemiah that church is to be an encouragement for us today I know that life is very very hard for us and for some of us here today it is extremely hard but the Bible wants us to look to Jesus believe him with all our heart and proceed the Bible wants us to walk by faith look at number one when, I mean, sorry, verse one. When Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, I love Nehemiah's confidence. There's a lot of people out there that don't like that we're building the wall, so guess what we're doing? We're building the wall. There's a lot of people out there that don't like for us to praise the name of Jesus, so guess what we do? We praise the name of Jesus. There's a lot of people out there that don't want us to talk about this book, but guess what we need to do? We gotta talk about this book. There's a lot of people out there that don't like calling that sin or that sin or that sin, but guess what we gotta do? We got to call that sin. There's a lot of people out there that think your sin, repentance, but guess what the Bible says will set you free? Turning from your sins. Nehemiah says, so we built the wall. What faith and determination that he has. Jump down to verse six. After all that opposition, so we built the wall. Says it again. They're talking bad. They're making fun of them. They think a fox will tear down the wall. They think that they can't do it. There's all this, so we built the wall. And look what he says in verse six a little bit more. And it's going well. Now we've got the wall joined together to half its height. It's not finished, but it's complete all the way around. There's no breaks in it. There's no holes in it now, and it's about halfway up. It's progressing. Why? Not just Nehemiah. The people had a mind to work. This isn't just, at this point, we talked about this last week, this isn't just that Nehemiah is so dynamic and awesome, although that comes out in this book, but this is that, now this is a team of people, there are many, many people involved and they're moving forward, and they're all hearing the mocks, and they're all hearing the laughing, and they're all hearing it, and guess what happened? They had a mind to work. They trusted the Lord. They went forward in obedience. If you look at that 2 Timothy chapter 3 passage that I quoted from earlier, the one that says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me just read the next few verses. Same passage. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Listen to this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Evil, imposters, fakes, liars, haters, opponents, all of that, continue in what you've learned. 2 Timothy 3.14, continue in what you've learned. Set your eyes on things above and do not be distracted. Nehemiah does that and his people do that too. Jump down to verse 9. Verse 8 says they all plotted together to come and fight. Verse 9 says, and we prayed to our God. And set them a guard as a protection against them day and night. Okay, they said they're coming to fight us, so we didn't go home and find shelter. They said they're coming to fight us, so we didn't give up. We said we're going to take a hiatus. We'll come back in a couple months once everything dies down. They said they're coming to fight us, so we kept working and we put up a guard so they couldn't fight us. Determination. Strength. A beautiful strength of faith. He prays 
and he moves. He prays and he obeys. He prays and he acts. Commentator Bet says, the legitimacy of Nehemiah's faith in God is not just his, his propensity to pray. And let's make sure we hear this, church. But it's also his determination to act. If I were to ask you here today, why is Nehemiah so awesome? Some people would say, man, he was a praying guy. Some of y'all would go, nah, he was a worker, man. He was a get after. He wanted to do something. What I want y'all to hear today, he was both of those. He was both of those. He depended fully on God. He did not think the strength was in himself. He knew that apart from him, he could do nothing. But he prayed to God faithfully, and then he acted. He goes on. He says, prayer followed by action appears to be a pattern in Nehemiah's life. We've seen it since the beginning in chapter 1. It's the way of life for people of faith. It's the way of life for people of faith. Nehemiah and the builders are determined to work and to not allow this verbal assault distract them or prevent them from doing what God called them to do. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6 also says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Vengeance is of the Lord. Colossians 3 tells us to seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, reigning victoriously, already having come to this world to deal with sin. And he did. And he loved well. And he taught well. And he served well. He did not come here to point out all the wrong that everybody was doing. He came here to give his life as a ransom for many. And when he died on the cross and was buried in the grave and rose again, he ascended back up to heaven where he remains right now, seated on his throne. And whenever the Father says, now's the time, it's go time, he will return. And when he comes back, he's not coming to deal with sin again. He is coming to rescue those who believe in him. By faith, may we not get distracted by the work. May we not get distracted by the opposition to the work. By faith, may we trust the Lord. Church, we need to be reminded from the scriptures that the ugliness of life is often discouraging, and we know that. If you read the New Testament, you see over and over again the baggage that often comes with life. We feel it. We carry the burdens. The Bible teaches us to bear one another's burdens. Paul writes in Romans 8 that we have all of these things weighing over us. He says we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered all day long. But then he reminds himself that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There may be opposition to what God is doing in the world and in your life. May you not get caught up in it. May it not totally overwhelm you. May you look to Jesus and see, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Church, we want to live for God's glory. We want to be used by him. May we not get distracted from what he's called us to. 
Opposition, yes, but a beautiful strength of believing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Nehemiah. It has been good for our souls to see just how this brother, Nehemiah, is navigating the challenges of life. Father, thank you that when Jesus was opposed, he did not quit. He did pray if there's any other way. He did pray the the, the, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. He did recognize this is a lot of opposition. But Father, he stayed the course. Father, we pray that you would use our lives by faith in Christ. God, we pray that there would be a beautiful strength coming out of First Baptist Fairdale of unity, of focus and faith, even against opposition. Father, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.